Amen. I'm so thankful for a hope that goes beyond what we see in this world. Amen. We have a hope in Christ that is, that is eternal, that is secure, not in how we feel about it, right? Not in how I feel day to day, but in the truth of God's word, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, that is the hope that we have in Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8, we're reminded of that. We have his spirit. We've been sealed into the day of redemption. Uh, what a hope we have in Christ. And, and what a blessing it is because we do live in a world that many are feeling without hope. Uh, if you hope in politics, if you hope in finances, if you hope in those things that we think are secure, uh, we've realized time and time and time again that we cannot put all of our trust in those things. But we can assuredly put all of our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing. What a blessing it is. Uh, speaking of that, I do want to remind you or encourage you rather uh, that we are starting a brand new series uh, next Sunday. And so you don't want to miss this. Uh, we are doing the Passion Week. Uh, but really what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take different things that happened during the last week of Jesus's life on earth before he went to the cross. And we're going to study those things, look at those things, building up to, obviously, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And so you don't want to miss this starting next week all the way through till Easter Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to be studying that last week of Jesus's earthly ministry, his earthly life. And so you don't want to miss that. Uh, so starting next Sunday, we're going to be diving into that. And I'm excited to see what the Lord does through that to encourage us as we see those things that, and I guess I would ask it this way, and you don't need to answer out loud, but if you knew you only had one week to live, like if you knew today was the beginning of your last week of life, how would you live this week? Like, like what decisions would you make day to day? And I believe obviously that Jesus knew exactly when his time would come and Jesus knew things were going to be accomplished. And so I, I want to dive into that and see how can we grow in our understanding of learning, what did Jesus do with his last week on earth? How did Jesus invest before he went to the cross? Now we know, praise God, he did not stay in that tomb. We're going to celebrate the resurrection that he rose again. We know that he spent another 40 days approximately with the disciples, training them and teaching them, equipping them. But I want to look at that last week of Jesus's life and prayerfully consider how, what can we learn from that as far as we glean from his life on earth. And so I'm excited for that. So uh, this morning, uh, we've been normally having notes in the app. You can get the notes on there, those kind of things. This morning, because the message is a little bit different, uh, we don't actually have notes for you this morning. The message itself is actually very, very simple. Okay. And I know what you're thinking. It's still going to be a 50 minute message, isn't it? I can't do that this morning. We got baptisms, but we're going to pray. We're going to see how the Lord will lead. Okay. Uh, one of our uh, loving and gracious leaders in our church, who's always so encouraging to me, uh, you know, said one time that we we're talking about preaching a 15 minute message. And, uh, and I said, you know, I said, I, I could preach a 15 minute message. I could do that. Easy. I haven't got to the punchline yet. You guys are already laughing. What's going on? I said, I could do that. And, and one of our leaders said, well, yeah, but only if it's a five minute devotion, like that's how that would work. Like a five minute devotion is a 15 minute message and a 15 minute message is a 45 minute message split into six weeks. Okay. That's how that works. But no, I'm excited for this morning. And so what I want to do this morning is something a little bit different. And I really want to kind of, and I don't do this a lot. 
Um, but I, I, from time to time, I, I pray for the Lord to give me wisdom in this. I don't like speaking to specific things too often, meaning uh, things happening in our either our culture or in our Christian culture, the church culture in our country, um, because I do really believe, and I've had people over the years ask me, like, why don't you speak about this very specific pointed Thing. I'm not talking about general things like prayer or things like finances or things like marriage, those kind of general topics. But there's been times where people are like, you should speak about this one TV show and like why this or that is bad. I could do that. And maybe you've been in churches that have done that, that have spent weeks talking about this movie or this TV show, this one very, very, very pointed thing. Now, I do think there are times where if there is something that a pastor believes the body of Christ that he pastors is being caught up in something, that's a very specific thing. Yeah, I think it's very appropriate for the pastor to speak to those things. But as a general rule of thumb, when I came into ministry, uh, the Lord has always led me to, in a general sense, lay before us the principles of God's word, the basic teachings of the word of God. And then as the Holy Spirit, which is a much better teacher than I will ever be, right? Amen. You can amen that. I know you're like, oh, supposed to amen. Yes, amen that, okay? You're not going to offend me, okay? Now, I mean, it's the Holy Spirit, then me, then there's some other people. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Um, Pastor Greg's pretty good, so he's, he's probably above me, and then there's many others. But, but so as a general rule of thumb, I, I like to just kind of lay before his biblical principles. This is what the Word of God says, and then let the Spirit of God apply that to your life. And it's been amazing when, I, when I've done that over the years, uh, time to time, people come and say, man, how did you know I was battling with that? How did you know I needed to hear that? How did you know this or that? And the beauty of it is I didn't know any of that, but the Spirit of God knew that. The Word of God never returns void. The Spirit took that, applied it to your heart and mind, and you were allowed to grow in that area. Saying that, there are times in our Christian culture where I do think there are things that, that seemingly get attention. And, and, and I prayed about this for the last couple of weeks about, Lord, should I speak on this? And so I want to speak on the issue of revival. And I want to specifically speak on what has kind of become labeled as a revival down at a school in Kentucky, Asbury University. And so I, I will say at the onset that my knowledge of whatever's going on, and actually, as I'll talk about in a minute here, ceased recently, is limited because I've not attended a service. I've not gone there in person. I've read what you've probably read. I've seen what you've probably read or seen. I've heard testimonies of things. I've heard people speak about it, to it. And so as I was noticing over the last couple of weeks, and if you don't know, there's a school in Kentucky, Asbury University, founded in 1890. And that school, uh, Wednesday, I believe it was Wednesday, February 8th, um, started a chapel service. And that chapel service just never really ended. And students began to just pray and praise and worship for hours and hours and hours. I mean, we're talking, it started turning into days of these students just worshiping and praising. And within a few days, I started seeing on social media, like now it's getting like videos are getting shared and, and how awesome is this? And it was so cool to see that. And then I noticed after a few more days, even media news networks began talking about this and interviewing people there, and it got national attention. And then actually people all over the U.S., all over the world started coming to this small town in Kentucky, wanted to be in this service and be a part of what God seemingly was doing there. Again, technically the faculty have concluded the services, uh, the chapel services. They were officially concluded as far as the evening extra chapels they were doing uh, this last Thursday evening. 
Um, as of Monday night, that was the first service where they were no longer allowing the public beyond students, those over 25 years of age, to come and be in the services. It was limited to just students. And then from Monday through Thursday, then it concluded on Thursday. The faculty's point in this was that the students needed to return to their daily routines and responsibilities as they actually have midterms coming up this coming week. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. Pastor Greg and I were talking about this for a moment. I, I would have loved revival right before midterms when I was in college. Amen? Come on. Like, because I knew I didn't study. I needed a revival. I needed, God, you need to supernaturally fall on this place because I'm about to fail, Okay. I will tell you, there's some moments in our lives that grow us in our prayer lives. I don't know if there's a stronger prayer than a college student walking into a midterm that did not study. I don't know if there's a stronger prayer life in existence than that student crying out, dear Lord Jesus, I need you now. Okay. And we used to always joke about kind of that idea that, you know, we would pray, you know, Lord, bring the things to my remembrance I need for this test. And then I always had a friend or two that would say, but did you study? That's irrelevant. You know, God can do anything, right? There's nothing impossible with God. And then they give this spiritual, you know, well, he can't bring something to your remembrance that you didn't put in there in the first place. And, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. But as this is going on and the students are returning to their normal, if you will, lives, meaning the daily routines that uh, they've been putting on hold while this service, these services have been going on. And I've been watching this unfold just from a distance, as maybe you have. Maybe some of you aren't even aware of this. You've not even heard of what was going on. Maybe you've heard bits and pieces. Maybe you saw something on the news and, and, and whatnot. But just seeing this and hearing the response from this, I've been really kind of, I've been really amazed by the response on social media. And it just reminds me how we as Christians can be sometimes. Uh, we're very extreme, aren't we, like in our response to things. And I've seen people go as far as to say this is the greatest revival since the Great Awakening, that there's never been and never will be anything like this before, and starting something in our nation, to the other end of the spectrum where this is just emotion-based. It's just music-based. There's no, there's no preaching that we know of. There's no real drawing to repentance, and so it's not really a revival. And I've seen both sides of that presented. And what I find equally interesting is... When someone speaks to this, either leaning one way or the other on what it is, who, if you believe it's this great revival, when somebody speaks out and says, mm, slow down, maybe we need to, they're just pounced on as, as quenching the spirit or questioning the spirit or how dare you. And then the other side of it is when, when people are saying, no, maybe this is really a move of God. And, and somebody over here says, maybe we need to slow down a little bit. And they say, no, it's the move of God. Then this side jumps on that side. And it's obviously not, or it obviously is. And so, so it drew to my mind, and Sandra and I have been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and I even told her, I said, you know, would you pray for me about this? Because I, I, I don't know that I should speak to this directly, but I kind of feel the Lord leading me to do that. Now, this message is not going to be a critique necessarily of that movement, that what happened there, what is happening there, what seemingly seems to be happening on other Christian campuses. But this is going to be a, hopefully an approach to how do we as followers of Christ how do we, when we hear of these things, how do we go about gauging these things? Do we even, do we concern ourselves with them or do we not? Do we just say, oh, that's cool and move on? Or do we spend time really evaluating, is this really of God or is this not? And then that way, being able to either praise God for what he's doing or to have discernment and wisdom to say, let's, let's make sure we remember to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the cross of Christ. 
And so I want to kind of walk through that this morning. Again, finding myself praying and thinking through this issue and believing the Lord would lead us to try to understand how should we approach these moves of God in our day and age. Now, when I say the word revival, for you, depending on your background, many different things are brought to mind. The word revival recalls many different things for us. Some of you grew up in a church where, in your church background, they would have set revivals, meaning for the next five days, we're going to have revival. And what that meant was, every evening, we're going to have church services. And the purpose of this is to draw us back to a closer walk with Christ, to, to reignite that passion for Christ. And we'll, usually, those churches had a guest speaker come in, and, and a man that would come in and, and share the word in a very intense and fiery way and try to motivate people this way. Nothing wrong with having extra church services during the week. Let me just say it that way. Nothing wrong with that. By the way, early Testament or early New Testament, guess how often they had church in the book of Acts every day. So uh, nothing wrong with having extra church services. Some of you in your church background, when you heard the word revival, it has a positive connotation or a negative one. Some of you grew up in churches where it was just revival meant hours and hours and hours of just music and music and singing and singing and a lot of emotion, a lot of standing, a lot of all of that. And so for some of you, that's a positive thing. You think back on it in a positive way. God moved through that and it was a glorious time. For some of you though, depending on your age, you were like, can, can we just go home? Like, I, like I'm hungry. Like, like you just didn't really, it really didn't do, I mean, it wasn't a move for you because your background, your age, where you were. So revival brings many, many things to our minds, some good, some neutral, and some not so good. Some of us grew up in churches where we had revival services. You went home from revival, but you never really saw that revival spill out into your home. Like your parents would take you to revival, and they would stand and sing and look like everything was great at church. Then you got home, and there was really no evidence of that spilling out into the lives of their daily lives. So for you, maybe you hear the word revival, and you think, that's just hypocrisy. That's not real. That's just, that's just show. So again, these different things can draw us to mind. So how do we approach these things? How do we biblically approach these moments? Not in emotion only, but biblically. Do we just accept it as of God because, well, they're singing praise music. They're talking about Jesus, so it must be a move of God. Or do we step back and do a little more discernment? So I want to give two verses to kind of springboard this morning and give us the principle that we're going to apply not just in this moment, but hopefully again moving forward. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. Now, if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats, there are some Bibles there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, we invite you to use one of those resources there, and uh, one of those copies of God's Word, I should say. And if you're doing that, you can just turn to page 834. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 834. So 834, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So again, we're just laying the groundwork, and then we'll dive into some deeper things here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 21. Now this finds itself, the end of chapter 5, as Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, is a kind of a closing verses of encouragement. So these are quick little, almost kind of remind us of proverb type sayings, but they're really just meant to be points of encouragement. Okay, uh, this is where we read in verse 17, pray without ceasing, right? What an amazing encouragement that is. How often should we pray? Constantly. 
without ceasing. Does that mean we walk around with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, bumping into things? No. It means we're always in an attitude of prayer. Does that mean we don't need to pray scheduled prayers? No, we do. But this is, again, just an encouragement applied generally to say we need to pray without ceasing. But verse 21 it's so important we understand this. Now, right before this, it talks about verse 19, quench not the spirit. That almost sounds like, okay, anything that's called the spirit, then we just, it's good. And we just let it go and don't even question it. Paul's understanding and wisdom, no, 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 that would be foolish. We shouldn't quench the spirit if it's truly God's spirit, if it's really the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Go over to 1 John chapter 4. So you're in Thessalonians, you're going to go through First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, and then you're in First John. So just keep going towards the back of the Bible there. You'll find First John. So First John chapter 4, again, just a principal verse we're going to kind of springboard into our talk. First John chapter 4, and verse 1. So again, what's Paul's ad- admiration? What's Paul's encouragement? Prove these things. Use discernment. Use wisdom, right? Gauge these things. Think through these things. So what does the Apostle John give us as a way of encouragement? Well, First John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, that's the believers, believe not every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, verse 2 gives us kind of what do we use here? Well, hereby know we the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So what does that mean that Jesus came in the flesh? It's not just saying, yeah, he, he took on flesh. It's the entire account in John's gospel of what that looks like. That He was born of a virgin. That we beheld the glory of God, John 1, 14. It dwelt among us. That the word became flesh. And so here we see John and Paul, both are giving us encouragements to use discernment, to use wisdom. This is not saying that something that's labeled in the spirit is not the spirit automatically, or to say that something that is labeled in the spirit is the spirit. It's to say, no, let's, with the word of God, with the spirit of God, with the brains and the minds that God gave us, let's discern this. And I know what people, again, depending on your background and what church history you have and church denominations, you've almost been told, more or less, that you don't question it. That you just go with it. And I have a hard time finding that in the New Testament. In fact, there's many times where the Bible warns us to use our wisdom, to use the wisdom of God, to make sure these things are truly of God. Because ultimately, we want to be discerning enough to know, are we going to get involved in this or are we not? Again, emotion is not bad, but emotion without truth leads to foolishness. Emotion is not bad, but motion is, emotion is always led by truth, not the other way around. We are called by Scripture to evaluate and test the things that are claimed to be of God or done by the Spirit. This is not being nitpicky or critical for critical sake but to honor God by diving into Scripture and desiring to know if something is truly of God. So we see this movement happening at this school in Kentucky, and we have to ask, is this of God? Is this, would you label this a revival? Would you say, oh, this is obviously 
a revival on the grand scale. When we use that word revival, meaning this is something that is a national thing. Well, first, I think one of the things we can do to be very wise here, whenever we hear these types of things mentioned, great wisdom here from the book of Proverbs and so many other places, give more time. What do I mean by that? We need to give more time to make that determination because one of the ways we know a move is of God is genuine if it produces fruit. So sometimes you have to step back and say, I can't label this anything yet other than seemingly worship and praise of God and students praising, which is a good thing. And we get excited for that. But why? I'm not going to put a label on it because why? The people in the first great awakening did not look around and go, this is obviously a revival. It was years later that people looked back and said, man, that was a move of God. And so sometimes we have to give more time and just let the fruit be produced and then step back, maybe even years or decades down the road, and let believers say that was a move of God. Praise God. Second, I must note that not knowing personally anyone involved, I do believe, based on what I've heard and seen, that the heart of the students and the faculty is most likely God-honoring and good. Their intentions are God-honoring good. Everything I've heard and seen is good. I mean, they, they point to Christ. They're pointing to Jesus. They're, they're pointing to worshiping him. Again, I, I love that it's the students focused on worshiping God and praising him. So if it isn't a revival and it's just a bunch of college students praising God at 2 in the morning, I'm okay with that. Now, I've seen that, though, as a criticism. Well, you know, you that think this isn't a revival, what do you want these kids doing at 2 in the morning? They could be doing all kinds of other things. Okay, obviously, I'm glad they're not doing the things they shouldn't be doing at 2 in the morning, and they're worshiping God. We can just at that point say, this is just a time of great worship and praise of believers. But I feel, again, as Christians, we want to throw a title on it. We want to throw a label on it. Now, to be fair, I have to point out, a couple things that concern me coming out of this. All the good that's come out of it, all the praise and the worship and the other campuses seemingly to have these moments of worship and praise, which is good. But a couple points that concern me is, is one, once this thing hit social media, and I was talking to one of our own uh, individuals in the church here when they were sharing with me how excited they were. I said, that's really great. One of my concerns is once this hit social media, was there a undue pressure to keep it going? Because now it's a hashtag. Now it's a, this is a thing. And I would hate to hear or to think that students felt pressured to try to keep it going. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying these are things that I think about. That social media is a great blessing, but sometimes I think it can put a lot of pressure on people to keep doing whatever it is that's drawing them there. Also, again, to be fair to the school itself, which we would not be of the same denominational background as this university, which, again, necessarily doesn't mean anything as far as this move, it just means we would disagree on some theological points. But the school itself, on its own website, considers it place, it's itself as a place of revival. That's how it identifies as a school. We are a place of revival. Again, the school, in its history, founded in 1890, has actually had eight so-called revivals. This being the ninth revival. The last one was in 2006. Of those revivals, seven happened in February, and the other two were in March of their respected years. So now, does that mean this isn't a move of God because seven of the nine happened in the same month, and two of the others happened a month later? 
I, I don't know that that means it's not a move of God. It just, when I was reading and learning and trying to learn more, that gave me a pause. That just gave me a pause. Another thing that I noticed that concerns me is the need I heard of people or saw of people, not so much in our church, but just in social media, all over the world, really, needing to get to the school. I just got to get there. I just got to get to the chapel because I just got to be a part of what God is doing. I understand what that means. And I get that it's exciting to hear about things like this. But as a pastor of a local church, I want to remind you of something. The spirit of God is not contained to a chapel in Kentucky. Like you don't have to go somewhere to get the spirit. Again, denominationally, there's some differences of opinion between us and this school. The way they view things in the New Testament, we would disagree with on some of those minor points. But the Bible is pretty clear. Romans 8, if you have Christ, you have the spirit. You don't have to go somewhere to this location and that's where the spirit is. I don't have to go to Kentucky to be touched by the spirit so that the spirit of God would revive me. That doesn't, that's not scriptural. Isn't that what Jesus told the woman at the well? Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship, but in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It's not about a location. You don't need the Holy of Holies in the temple. Jesus Christ tore the veil, and now the temple of God is you and I through Christ. You see, you have the spirit of God in you. He indwells you. He is gifted to you by Christ. The spirit is with you, and when we gather as the body of Christ, he, the spirit, is here. And so the Spirit of God can move in our lives at any point he chooses as long as we respond by faith and open our hearts and minds to him. I would also suggest that the Christian life is not defined by the mountaintop experiences or moments of our life, but the consistent walk with Christ day to day where we grow in the knowledge of grace and truth. Think of it this way. Jesus didn't keep Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration for the rest of their earthly lives. He sent them out. You had this moment with God, this experience with God, but now you need to go preach. Now you need to go teach. Now you need to go baptize. Now you need to go live your lives for Christ, share Christ with your neighbor. Again, see, the Christian life biblically is not defined by these mountaintop experiences. It's the day-to-day walking with Christ through grace, by faith, that he's equipping us and giving us this newness of life that we can go out into our communities, go into our workplaces, and make an impact for Christ. So what is revival? Word of warning, that was the introduction. <laughs> Preach. Okay. What is revival? I want to give you just some basic things here. We're really going to move fairly quickly through this. There's two times of revival we see in Scripture. There's personal and there's corporate. There's personal and there's corporate revival. So what is personal revival? Well, that is, it starts in our own hearts. It starts in our hearts. The truth is when we see our lives as a gift from him and in response, love him with all of us, which Jesus calls us to, we will experience revival every single day in our hearts and minds. Now think about that for a moment. That every day that you see your life through Christ as a gift from him and in response, love him with all of you, 
you will experience personal revival every single day, a drawing to a closer walk with him every day. When we just say, Lord, this life, this day, this moment is yours. And when we think that way, our minds will be renewed. Our lives will be, if you want to use the word revived, awaken might be a better word. Paul tells us to wake up, awake to the truth that's in Christ. And so we see this awakening, and now we're living that day for Christ. You know what we're doing? We're living John 10.10, abundant life. We're living in Christ. We're allowing him to lead us and guide us. We will discover the abundant life in Christ, which we already have in the Spirit, and now seeing lived out in our lives. A person that is going through daily renewal or revival or awakening, again, whatever term you would like to use, has a renewed passion for the things of Christ. And all of a sudden, and I mentioned this in our Conversations with God series last August when we talked about this idea of changing our world. How do we change our world? Well, I'll tell you where we start. When we have a renewed individual personal passion for the things of Christ and the aspects of our Christian life, we will view everything that God calls us to not as have-tos, but want-tos and can't-wait-tos. Let me put it this way, and this is not... Legalism does not make anyone feel guilty about anything. A person that is experiencing daily renewal in their life with Christ will never have to be convinced to gather with the body of Christ. A person that is experiencing daily renewal in their walk with Christ will never have to be convinced to pray. Will never have to be convinced to read the word. Will never have to be talked into the benefits of raising your children in a Christian home. But a person that is falling asleep a person that is drifting in their walk with Christ, a person that is ignoring the call of God on their lives or ignoring serving in the community, serving in the church, whatever these things might be, these disciplines, as they're getting more and more lulled to sleep, right? Think of it this way. The longer we allow the things of this world to cloud our minds and our passions and steal our passions and steal our joys. And now we think we need this stuff the world says to be happy and joyful. And we've started to sway our attention over here. We're falling asleep little by little. How many of you sleep with a fan on? You have to have a fan on. It's okay. It's not a, you're not going to get called out or nothing. I'm just curious. You're like, man, after all that, I ain't raising my hand for nothing. (laughs) He going to call me out. I'm just curious, fan, fan sleepers, you need a fan on, you need some kind of noise in the room. How about that, okay? We do that because that just helps us kind of what? Drift off to sleep. Anyone have a hard time sleeping if there's no noise in the room? It's too quiet, right? I'm a very light sleeper. I mean, you're talking like the dog gets up and walks down the hallway. Those nails coming down the hallway. I'm up, what's going on? Why is the dog moving? What's going, what's, the kids okay? What's going on? My wife's not as light a sleeper, but she really hates that I'm a light sleeper because when I sit up in the bed and go, what's going on? Guess what that does? <laughs> I was fine. I didn't hear nothing. You moved. Now I'm up. And then I'm able to go back to sleep and she's laying there like. But that noise, that constant noise in the background that helps us kind of just drift off to sleep. And the world is trying to just lull us to sleep. Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, your life looks pretty much like your neighbors who don't know Christ, and you know Christ, but it's fine. You're doing fine. You're good. It's just that constant white noise, that noise in the background to lull us into sleep. Listen, as Paul says, wake up. Because there's so much more than what we've seen. 
And it's not based in feeling this way or feeling that way. It's about truth in God's word. You were dead. Now you're alive in Christ. And you should be awake and alive. So we wake up to this reality. And when that happens, that's that personal renewal, that revival, that awakening. And the things that God calls us to, that we used to go, oh, I got to go to church today. No, no, no. You wake up in the morning. And I'm not saying there's not going to be moments. We all have moments where we just go, I just don't feel it today. But the beauty of that personal revival is we know the benefits and we go, no, I'm going. I don't feel like it today, but Lord, you're worth it. I'm going. I'm telling you, renewed passion for Christ, things for Christ become want to's, can't wait to's, not, okay, I guess I better go to make so-and-so happy. So when we have that kind of personal revival, what's the result? It overflows into the lives of others. I'm going to give you two examples, two examples, and and we're not going to turn there for time's sake. We will go to one of them, but... Um, two examples of this personal revival, this renewal, this awakening overflowing out of us. The first one is in Jonah chapter three, Jonah chapter three. We're not going to turn there for time's sake, but you can jot it down for notes. And if you want a copy of my notes, I can give them to you again. I know we don't have the notes on the app this morning, but Jonah chapter three, this is Jonah and the city of Nineveh. Jonah preaches and the people of Nineveh repent of their sin, and there's a revival in this town. There's a revival where people are coming to faith in God. They're seeking forgiveness. They're repenting, and they're turning from their sin. The other one is found in Acts chapter 2. Now, these are not the only times that God has moved in the Word of God, but these are two examples I want to look at that summarize what this revival flowing out of us, out of the individual, into the community, into the lives of others looks like. Uh, Acts chapter 2. So we know Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He preaches basically the convicting message of the cross. The Jews that are there are pricked in their hearts. And we see in verse 37, Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. I love that. That's the spirit of God working. That's the spirit of God that draws us under repentance, that opens our hearts and minds to understand that we need to receive Christ and confess our sin. And so some of us have been pricked in the heart many, many times, and we've ignored that. We've, we've tried to not listen to that. We've tried to give excuses for that. We've tried to justify that. We've tried to say, yeah, but I kind of believe, or I go to church, or I'm a good person. But the problem is that if you don't know Christ, you don't have salvation. You can go to church your whole life, but if you don't know Jesus, you don't have salvation. So they were pricked in their hearts. And listen to what they said. Peter and to the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do as a result of conviction? What do we do about this? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's Peter's response to the conviction? Repent. And let that repentance be followed in baptism. Now, We see a move of God to redeem the lost, a call to repentance, and many receive the gift of salvation or forgiveness in the case of Nineveh, obviously being before Christ. So what do these two outpourings, these two, if you want to use the word revival, have in common? They centered around teaching and preaching. Jonah preached the need of repentance because judgment was coming. Peter, when asked what they must do, said, repent and be baptized. 
Peter was expressing that repentance is confessing our sins and trusting in Christ, which is then followed by baptism, a public profession of faith. Again, as some are preparing to do this morning. How exciting. They've repented of their sins. They've trusted in Christ. And now they're coming as a public profession to say, Lord, I believe. And I want everyone to know it. We must be aware if a move of God is identified as its central message being the cross and preaching, or is it more a music and emotion? Now, again, this is where we pause because people go, okay, so then it's not. No, emotion is not bad. Music is not bad. One of the moves of God in the Old Testament was when the worshipers were worshiping and the spirit of God, the presence of God fell, and they could not minister because of the presence of God. But notice they didn't stay there the rest of Israel's history. No, God did that as a, a move to show his presence. And then they preached and they taught the law and they drew people into repentance. So I'm not saying it doesn't involve those things, but at its core, at the thing that really identifies some of the great moves of God throughout church history and in the word of God, yes, there's worship and there's praise and there's emotion, but there's also at its core preaching and teaching and the word of God and recall to repentance. We've been studying Exodus on Wednesday nights and we've been talking about the journey that they've taken and they sinned and they fell And you know, the presence of God came, but it was at the call to repentance. It was at the call of the Israelites to turn from their sin and to trust God anew. Again, revival starts in our hearts, which then overflows into others. And ultimately, it's for his glory alone. For his glory alone. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. You don't need to turn there for time's sake. But here we see that Paul says that the glory goes to God alone. Glory in the church by Christ Jesus. As we experience God moving and growing us day to day, then coming together as the church, as the body of Christ, to provoke one another into love and good works, and then that spills out into our communities, it is God that is glorified, not man. Now, I will say that this is one of the positives that I heard coming out of this move at Asbury. That when well-known speakers or musicians came to speak or to sing or to make it about them, some of these movements or some of these individuals or leaders in a certain movement, which I would consider heretical and false teachers, were even quoted as basically saying, we're going to go down there and we're going we're to take this thing and we're going to own it. And they were politely told, no, thank you. Because it was students and faculty that were leading this and even though there were some individuals that endorsed this move of God, one individual that has fallen from his position as an, he says, an evangelist, I would call him a false teacher and a heretic. This individual, actually, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, but actually claimed that during a healing service that God led him to kick a man in the face because that's what God wanted him to do to heal him. That's not an exaggeration. That's not an embellishment. That is his words. Since then, he's no longer in active ministry because nobody is willing to let him come. But right before that statement, he claimed to have this powerful healing ability and people paid him lots of money to come and speak because he sounded the part. He looked the part. He said all the right things. But I'm telling you, as Paul says, as John says, just because they say this and do that, we got to be careful. We got to be guarded. So why? Because it's all for the glory of God alone. It is God that saves. It is God that restores. 
It is God that sent Christ, and it is God that sent his spirit. So it is God that receives all the glory. I want to encourage all of us to realize that you and I do not need to travel to some magical location where God is moving to be, quote, touched by the spirit. When we have the word of God and the spirit of God through Christ, and he can and does move us right where we are, if we will merely open our hearts and minds. So I want to ask you some questions this morning. And I pray that you will allow this to encourage you to focus on, are you being renewed daily? Is there a desire and a hunger daily, personally, as an individual? Is that spilling out into not only the lives of other believers, which is good, but even into the lives of the lost? One of the trademarks of revival in church history was it didn't just stay in the church. It didn't just go from Christian campus to Christian campus. It spilled out into the communities where others were being drawn and encouraged to receive Christ. And so some questions for you to think about this morning and wherever you are in your Christian walk, wherever you are right now in your life with God, whether you know him as your savior, or you don't, I want to ask you these questions. Do you, don't answer out loud, but do you hunger for the things of God? Not, are you okay with them? You're not opposed to them. Do you hunger for them? Do you hunger for them? Do you desire to live for him above all things? Are you being convicted by the spirit because you do not know Christ as your savior and need to be saved? You know that you don't know him. You know you need to be saved. Will you turn and will you repent and trust in Christ? Are you a Christian and yet living with your will as the main priority? My encouragement is to repent, turn to Christ receive his grace and be saved, be renewed in your walk with Christ. And you can experience the awakening of the abundant life. Why? So that it may spill out of you, spill into your home, spill into the lives around you. And why? For his glory alone. So what do we do when we hear of people individually saying, man, God is moving in my life. God is doing these great things. What do we do when we hear people saying it on a corporate level? God is moving in this church or this school, we step back and we praise God and we say, God, thank you for moving. But then we ask questions. We have conversations. And I love people telling me, you're just never going to believe how God is changing me, changing my family, changing my life. And you see it, you see it spilling out into others around them. And it's praise God for that. And then you with gracious intention, we just gently remind Man, praise God for that. Now let's make sure we keep it centered on Christ. Let's make sure we keep it centered on the cross. Make sure we keep it centered on God's word. God can do things that we've never imagined and changing people's lives and drawing them repentance, drawing them salvation. We praise God for it. All I'm saying is let's make sure that it's God that is glorified and that we realize we don't need to go anywhere to get this magical experience, that we have his word, we have his spirit, and he can move in your life right now today. So we're going to have a time of invitation. And all invitation is a chance for you to respond. Whether you do that in your seats there or want to come up front and step right away and kneel and pray. Now again, let me remind you, there's the same God in the seats as there is if you come forward. But maybe you want to step right away and say, no, I just want to spend a moment with God, just him and I, or as a couple. Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, I, revive me. Like, awaken me. I've fallen asleep. I need to be awakened. So maybe you would come and pray that prayer or there in your seats, whatever God is doing, he would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you do move in us and 
You use us to affect the lives of others. Lord, you've, you've done things in our world. You've moved in ways through church history that we stand in all of you. And Lord, I'm thankful for these college students that are drawn to worship you and to praise you. And Lord, my prayer is that, number one, that it would remain, that they would continue to keep their eyes on you. You'd continue to stir their hearts for the things of Christ. Father, I pray that, that this is glorifying to you, that this is Christ-centered and that people have truly repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. Lord, I, I'm always leery when I hear of people that are living in open, unrepentant sin going to something like this and saying that they really enjoyed it. It gives me pause to think, Lord, if, if, that, if you're really moving and, and your spirit is moving there, there's going to be a, a conviction of sin. So I pray that if there's anyone that has been a part of this move, that they would remind themselves and go to your word and say, Lord, I need to make sure this is of you, that you would be glorified above all things. And Father, I thank you that we don't need to travel somewhere, that you're here with us. I pray you'd awaken us to the things of Christ. Draw us unto repentance. Stir in us a passion for you. And may that overflow into the lives of others, overflow into praise, into worship, into singing, and excitement, and joy, and emotion. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Give us wisdom, Lord, in all these things. Thank you for those that are coming to be baptized. I pray, Lord, that you would just affirm these things in their hearts and minds and grow them in their faith. And Father, again, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing?